Welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together. No topic is taboo as we explore and publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. So, are you in? Hello to all my modern women. Today's season finale is different to any ep I've ever done before because not only is it a two-part episode, it is also the first time I will be interviewing a man. But not just any man, a very close friend of mine, who actually I and anyone who listens to Single 30 has to thank for its existence. He was one of the first people to encourage me to start up my own podcast back when I would send him voice notes detailing my horrible dating experiences. On top of that, he helped me flesh out the concept and was behind almost each and every one of the episodes in season one. He is a successful entrepreneur, writer and movie producer who has been one of my best friends for over five years now and is one of the most loyal and intelligent people I know. So it was a no-brainer that I would choose to interview him when it came to getting the man's perspective on dating and relationships. Before you listen to this episode, though, I should warn you that some of the topics are quite explicit. A lot of the questions I ask, many of you actually wrote into me, so I hope you find the answers useful. In part one, we cover things like whether younger women are in fact dirtier in the bedroom, to whether men actually like it when women behave like porn stars. We also go over what some of the expectations surrounding dating both online and in person are. And last, but definitely not least, whether men experience imposter syndrome. In part two, things start to spice up a bit as we exchange traumatic dating stories, as well as discuss what actually classifies a woman as crazy. Stefan shares what he thinks are some of the rules surrounding committed relationships and the use of social media. I also try to get to the bottom of why so many men are scared to approach women, as well as whether men actually care if women have sex on a first date or not. Lastly, we explore why a lot of men are fuckboys, whether cheating and ghosting is forgivable, and end the conversation with some much-needed insight into what men actually want most in a woman. To all my modern women, I am so excited to introduce to you today my amazing and very dear friend, Stefan Wolf. Stefan, welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman. Thank you for having me. So let's jump right in. A listener wrote in asking, are younger women actually dirtier in the bedroom or is it just a myth and do men actually prefer it? Please define younger and dirtier. Okay, so anyone younger than me. (laughs) Younger than you. Do the listeners know how old you are? (laughs) I'm 32. So I suppose we're talking age range from graduating from high school to, say, 25. And dirtier, I guess, into kinks, a little bit rough. Yeah, I would, look, I would say that my experience in this isn't extensive, except for when I was younger. So if you're asking about the generation of women today that are younger, that fall into that category, I would, I couldn't, you know, offer an extensive response. In terms of dirtier, the answer would be, in my experience, no. And just keep in mind that I'm speaking for the eastern suburbs of Sydney here, not the whole of the whole world. Okay. Um, so I would say in terms of dirtier, no, they're not necessarily open to more to more kinks. They are more available though, but I think So how do you define available? I define available as the ability, well, being able to get them into bed. That's what I would seek out to do. Like they're more open to having sex quickly, younger girls, in my opinion. Like on the first Um, date? Like on the first date or the, not that 
that's extremely common, but you know, on within the first few dates, definitely, I think. Um, right. Whereas I would say that people 25 and up are a bit more reserved and kind of, they're not just trying to fill a void of, I want to go out and party and have sex and do things. And they want to be know, courted. They want to be courted, exactly. Whereas younger women are, in my opinion, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, in my experience, less interested in being courted than in just a having a good time and having a party. <laughs> and and that's, yeah, I mean, that's what I think. I suppose I have a little bit of knowledge when it comes to this in terms of having spoken to a lot of my male friends who actually surprisingly have told me that often they'll go on dates with girls who are younger. So again, that bracket between 18 to 25. Mm-hmm. And those girls will be really up for sex on the first day and also demand that they either like slap or choke them, which has actually been super confronting for my guy friends who said that they weren't necessarily up for that or comfortable with it. Is that something that you relate to or have? I think that the, um, we'd have to look at stats for this to to really get a good idea of how. Love a good stat. (laughs) Yeah, of how (laughs) prolific it is. But I think that um, people that want to be choked or slapped are very common. Um, and I would put that down to types of porn that are um, out there in the world today. And there's kind of like, there's a sense of developing escalation um, as you develop sexually from, you know, the first time you're on the computer and you see a pair of breasts and, oh my God, that's that's exciting. And suddenly, you know, you're nearly coming your pants to, um, <laughs> you know, 10 years later, I've had a friend say, oh God, like I've just beat off over someone getting pissed on and I have no idea what's happening in my life. So, like, do guys actually like that sort of thing, though? Like, does watching a girl get paid on turn you on? And if so, why? Okay, so... Is it a control and dominance thing? Like, Well, for me, um, yeah, I, I, I enjoy what would be called kinkier sex, I suppose. And um, my girlfriend does as well, which is, you know, it's, I'm glad that I'm dating someone who, you know, shares my... Um, proclivity for those things. Um, but not everyone does, obviously. And in my experience, younger women are less exposed and uh, forward with that kind of thing because they haven't found out necessarily what they're into yet. Whereas... Uh, they're more experimental. They're, yeah. And well, they're, they're experimental, um, but they haven't yeah, they haven't fully solidified what they want. They don't. They don't fully know yet. Whereas, people twenty five and up that I've uh, they're like it's a hard no to being paid on. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> well, well, no, or they're or they're like you know what I found out that being paid on is the only thing that gets me off. Can you please pee on me? So you have no. The, it's true. I have, have the, quite a lot of yeah. friends who can't get off unless their partner's pulling their hair and it's in a doggy position. So you're right. Like by the time you're twenty five to thirty, you know exactly what's going to work for you or not. Yeah, and the, you you're kind of. You're on what's called the hedonic treadmill, which is you're you, you're fulfilling um, your your desires initially, and you know it's this this constant theme of escalation. It's no different to a drug addict. Like this is my experience anyway. That the, as I said, the things that would have got me off when I was 16 changed by the time I was 18. Changed by the time I was 24. Changed by the time I'm I'm now 33. And um, I think it's same the same for women actually as well. So I think that you know there's, it's the same for men and women. We're both put into this world and we're exposed to all this sexual stuff, and we do what we can to get ourselves off initially, and then it that changes. And you're that's, so yeah. right because when I remember with my ex when I was 19, I was like what I would describe as like a trisexual. Like you name it, I wanted to try it. I would 
often talks to him about the idea of like going to swingers parties together. And I reflect back on that chapter and I'm like, who was that girl and what did you do with her? Because like now you could not pay me enough money to do something like that. So a hundred percent. Because you figured out where you want to be. I don't want to be at swingers parties either, but by the same token, you know, my girlfriend said to him the other day, she said, you're not, when you're rough, you're not rough enough with me. Just hit me over the head with a brick or something. Wowzies. But she, okay. obviously that's not literal, but she <laughs> yeah. was just expressing the desire, you know. Yeah. And I would, you know, she knows what she wants. By 27, she she yeah. knows what she wants, what she, she likes. Gets it. Now, whether or not that's a good thing is another question, which obviously you haven't asked, but I think it's kind of kind of interesting about whether or not there's like a positive or negative or neutral um, value to the fact that so many people do want rough aggressive, sex. rough, kinked out sex. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But I do often think when I've been on dates with guys who have taken me home and have expressed that they like rough sex, it makes me wonder <laughs> what was the catalyst for that. And often I do find that behind that sort of behavior is like some form of trauma that they're, they haven't addressed and they are acting out mm. on a sexual level. Whether it's like a bad relationship yeah. with one of their parents or, you know, it's something that's manifesting in their private life that they haven't addressed elsewhere. I mean, you may have a different theory, but so far my story has checked out. I mean, I think that the, there's always going to be a cause. Like if you look at um, kinks in someone's life, there's either going to be a, a societal or upbringing mm-hmm. um, issue that's that's led to the development of their kink or there's going to be a genetic component you know like people can have foot fetishes because of miswiring in the brain like so you, you have the full range i've come across a lot of guys with foot fetishes and i have really big feet i mean one time i was actually working at the glee markets and this tradie came over to me and saw that i had t- size 10 feet and then he came back an hour later with all of these high heels that he had at home that he was storing at home and asked me to try them on and then asked if I would feel comfortable enough to meet him in Piedmont and do a photo shoot wearing the high heels. And I was like, it's a strong no from me. Thank you so much. Well, you know, there's there's all kinds out there. And again, like what happened to you in your childhood to make you like feet? I would love to know the psychology behind that. I think for me, I don't like feet, by the way, but I actually hate feet. um, (laughs) Me too. But I do like heels. So I I like it when my girlfriend wears heels. But yeah. all the time now. And that that's bordering on like what I would call a fetish. I would say that probably developed because I had, I don't know, maybe the first um, uh, CD that was ever brought for me was uh, the Spice Girls. Um, I forget the name of their first Which album. Which Spice Girl were you into? But it was Posh Spice in the Heels. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Now, I'm definitely not into her anymore by any means, but I probably saw her in Heels when I was a kid, like very young, like, you know, maybe uh, not, maybe eight or nine, and that stuck with me. And I think a lot of people's, you know, kinks stem from early childhood, and I think that the research would probably indicate that what I'm saying is right. No, you're right. I went on a date with a guy who was pitched to me as this, like, super spiritual dude, and Mm. I tend to gravitate towards spiritual pursuits. I have often thought that, you know, the dream would be to end up with somebody who is spiritual. So my friend thought, you know what, whether it's, like, a romantic thing or not, I think you two should meet. Turns out his definition of spirituality was BDSM, (laughs) and he had a super toxic relationship with his mom. Therefore, he liked to alternate between the sub and the dom, Mm. submissive and, yeah, dominant. And he thought that 
being abused in the bedroom was a way for him to process his emotions about his mom and therefore was a spiritual act. And he knew that I also had a relationship with a parent that wasn't so great. And therefore, he thought that I would share (laughs) his interest in BDSM. And I was like... Our definitions of spirituality are very, very did, different. Just, just out of just going to Jack for a second, just out of interest, did he actually describe his belief that his act of BDSM yes. was a spiritual act? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so he's a pastor in Surrey Hills. <laughs> so he's cooked. And then I greened it, obviously. And then for a week after that, he proceeded to send me articles on the subject matter, trying to convince me and that A, we were alike, which we most definitely were not, and B, why it was a spiritual pursuit. Uh, was he referencing flagellation in the Catholic <laughs> Church? Or, I mean, where was he going with this? It was weird, and we never spoke again, and then he proceeded to send me messages promising that I will never share this with anyone else. Okay. And here we are on and a podcast today, years later. So I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not naming oh. names. But, yeah, it just proves our point. My question is... Do men actually like it when women behave like porn stars in the bedroom or is it too much? So I think that the answer to that can be found in each individual man's opinion and there's, you know, a wide range of opinions on it. I know guys, I have friends that do not like it at all. They think it's tacky, it turns them off, they don't even want to have sex in doggy. Um, yeah. But I also know a lot of guys, so that's not the case for. I personally like it when my partner is more like a porn star and it's lucky that I'm dating someone who is more like a porn star. Um, but I think that um, whether or not that makes them dirty, like I don't like the term dirty to start with. I think it, we could use a better term. Because, what would you call it? Well, for instance, my partner would... Experiment. So no, for, no, that's just... <laughs> hold, on, hold on, let me defend myself here for a second. I think that my partner would describe... Um, can you give girls. some context about who your partner is? So my partner's uh, a lovely girl named Michelle. Love her. Um, she's great. She uh, was a Playboy model and is, is she's pretty out there. She's the kind of girl, you know, you go out to dinner with her and she's wearing a leopard print bodysuit and a lot of people are staring at her and coming up and trying to talk to her. And, but she's know, unapologetic. But she's sexy. unapologetic and she's sexy and she's great and amazing. Uh, but if you're looking at Dirtier, right, so let's just go back to Dirtier. When you say that, I think um, if you like, she would say, and I might tend to agree, although I'm not totally sure, that if we're going to use a, a a negative word like that, maybe that would be thrown at people who like what what what's dirtier to engage in kinky acts with someone that you're in a partnership with, or to go and sleep with the whole of a city. Now, I'm actually I actually don't think there's anything wrong with either, either. thing. They're totally both fine by me, but. Why we're choosing the word dirty here, I'm not I'm not sure. I, I would say I said do men like it when women behave like porn stars. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. there is a no, difference. Which is that and that's definitely a thing. Because obviously porn porn stars tend to behave in a certain way. Anyone familiar with porn, I'm sure some people are, will see that, you know, like it's if more like look, a performance. It's a performance and I think And often it involves the woman being submissive. submissive. Yes, that's true. There's well if you're looking at like yeah, probably eighty percent of porn, that's not like a hard fact. Um would incorporate the woman being submissive. You're talking about cum shots on the face. You're talking about, you know, um, derogatory things, um, ass to mouth, whatever Uh it may be. For me personally, yeah, those things all do it (laughs) for me. Um, My partners that I've had all does it for them. It's good that we kind of live in symbiosis like that. Obviously, it's not for everyone. Um, It's interesting because I have dated men who 
are absolutely not into that, mm. and it's a turn off for them. And if they sleep with a woman who shows too much enthusiasm in the bedroom, they they just immediately assume that it's fake. So it's it's you need to like read the room almost. You definitely have to read the room and know who you're dealing with, and it's. You know, it's really key not to make people feel uncomfortable. So one thing I, I would say is also there might be a misconception that people that are kinky, just because they're kinky or like being dominated or like dominating people, are really forward about that. And I could name, uh, well, not that I would name on a podcast, but there could be, you know, I could think of a lot of people in my mind who would happily uh, be very forward about having sex on a, on a first date, but that would absolutely be into no kink whatsoever. Like they just want to have very vanilla, vanilla so quote-unquote sex. But at the same time, say, take Michelle, sh- it took me two months just to kiss her. And <laughs> yet that. she's Michelle, you're my hero. very, uh, you know, and you could, you know. You, she wanted to be courted. She wanted to be courted, exactly. Now, the fact that she's kinky and that I'm kinky doesn't mean that we went up to each other and were like. Slapped each other at the yeah, bar. Yeah, we like, let's do this. Yeah, let's come on. <laughs> let's get it on. Like, no, actually, it was super romantic and slow and like very much so like a courting thing. And. And I, even though I, like my partners would describe me as quite dominant, or Michelle would describe me as quite dominant, um, that I, the room. I'm not the person that would be forward about it in any means. I'm like super reserved when it comes to the courting stage. So, you know, I think there's some certain misconceptions about it, but we're kind of, we're getting away from the question, do women actually like, do men rather like it when, when women perform? I think a lot of them do, a lot of them don't, but I would say more do. If I had to be honest, I would say more of my friends. Maybe that's a reflection of men that I know, but more of them prefer it. So here's a question that just popped into my head. If you were really interested in a woman and took her home after a month or two of courting and she was vanilla, Mm. could you date her? It would be a struggle. Interesting. It would be a struggle. It depends how vanilla. Like, are we talking, you know, I had a friend um, who was... uh, with his partner for about a year and he he always struck me as you know quite reserved and at one point the topic of sex came up and he said that they'd only slept a missionary for the entire year now that to me i you know i don't so like to judge romantic. people's sexuality in any way but i kind of looked at him and i was like like but there's not like a physiological barrier to it is there and he was like no 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 She's just not that into anything else. And I thought, yeah, I probably wouldn't date someone like that. But that's because, you know, sex is an important part of a relationship. I think it's good that you connect with your partner. It's uh, your own language, right? Yeah, exactly. And so if they were super vanilla, I might, you know, work on developing their <laughs> sexuality. But that that's not, you know, uh, something that What if a girl was happens. like, it's a hard no to blow jobs? Jesus. I mean, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't be, you know, I'm not, I'm partial to blowjobs, but it's not the be all and end all of my life. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I find a lot of men say that. Yeah, it's not, it's not that important. I mean, I'd be more concerned if it was a hard no to anal, but that's. Wow. That's. But that, <laughs> and so talk me through this. What is the appeal with anal? I need to understand it. You're. You're asking me to explore the deep depths of my psyche and try and unpick my childhood yeah, why, and everything that's, that's happened you to know me. That, right? <laughs> um, I can't. Who hurt look, you, Stephen? Uh, no, no one hurt me. Oh my god. Um, that's not entirely true either. But we don't need to get into that. Um, that's another day. For <laughs> that's another, another day. day. Um, but uh, look, anal is. I uh, look. I suppose. I if I look thinking back, I didn't have much interest in anal whatsoever until 
I started watching porn and so saw again. a lot of anal and porn and then it came into my mind and then uh, I crossed a boundary at some point in, 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 and entered that world and then, uh, you know, every partner I've had since has also been into anal. So there we go and it's just another thing that you can do to, to mix up what you're doing in the bedroom because I think that um, sexual stimulation comes from novelty to a degree, which is why when you're in a long-term relationship, over time there tends to be a decline in the sexual chemistry um, because novelty isn't uh, necessarily reintroduced enough. Um, but that's just, again, that's just you, you're on the hedonic treadmill. Um, it's a great term. Go look it up. Um, <laughs> but you are always chasing the next high and the bigger high. And that's why people end up beating off over people getting pissed on because they're chasing the next high. And anal is a part of that and all the dirty stuff that goes with, that you can think of is a, is, is a part of that. Well, it's also why celebrities have, you know, you get stories that come out of the mouths of celebrities that are, are extreme because, like, you, they, they're exposed to sex with so many people that are so, you know, so many attractive people all the time. They can get what they want whenever they want. And at some point, it's just never enough. And so they keep escalating, escalating, escalating what they want, um, just like a, a cocaine user that's just taking bigger and bigger bumps. And that's what happens. And you can try and, you know, uh, keep yourself happy through your life doing that. At some point, you'll probably stop getting stimulated, but that's okay. That's a part of life. Or you can just do what Leonardo DiCaprio does and just date 21-year-olds until you die. Well, exactly, but he's just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there you go. <laughs> there you go. But, I, yeah, I would like to think that not all of us need to do that and that there's actually, you know, at some point sex is great, it's important, but it's not the most important thing. And, wow, um, wow. Look, I, at one point in my life I thought I was never going to be able to have sex again necessarily when after I had cancer and they were looking at, um, you know, I thought potentially I might lose my bladder and I would never be able to um, have sex. And I thought, okay, that's a big hit for me. Like, that might happen. But there's a lot more of value in life, even in the minds of men, just so They often knows. say that kissing and holding hands is more intimate than having sex. So, I mean, if you were to lose your bladder and never be able to have sex again, I'd you be know. Up, yeah, I'd be upset. <laughs> there's always hold, <laughs> hand holding. <laughs> but there'd be a lot of hand holding and kissing and massages. There's a lot of massages. <laughs> exactly. There's always yeah. neck kissing as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've been in a relationship for four months now. Yeah. I met you when you were single. Mm -hmm. What was dating like for you? Did you like the apps? Uh, so it depends on where. So I've been living in Hungary, um, wonderful country, please go there, um, and Australia over the last uh, four, four or five years, so kind of back and forth between them. Um, in in Australia, I do I did use the apps. I, I I used you know Bumble and Tinder and Hinge. I think I think I did. Yeah, I did. Um, and I had a lot of horrible dates on all of those apps, and it did feel like a chore. And it felt like in the end, I just had to tell myself, okay, you know what? I'm um, gonna take each of these people as just an opportunity to learn about people. So I went in with zero expectation in the end because I, I didn't particularly have a great time um, on a lot of dates. Uh, but at that time, I, was, I wasn't um, working in an office. I w wasn't, you know, socializing a lot. So the apps were kind of my only, what I perceived to be my only option. So yeah, the apps, the, I, I did use the apps. It became very routine though. You know, I'd take the 
people to the exact same place over and over and over. <laughs> I had no interest in, you know, necessarily finding a new hangout or putting in an immense amount of effort prior to meeting someone. Just to give some background here, there was one particular bar that Stefan liked to take all of his first dates to. And we actually went there together as friends and it became apparent to me that the bartenders would pretend like it was the first time they had ever seen Stefan at this bar. So they were definitely not getting paid enough. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> um, they probably thought yeah. that you were a date. But, um, <laughs> you did not yeah. have much imagination in terms of location. Yeah. So, no. yeah. <laughs> no, I would just go to the same place and not put in a, an immense amount of effort. But I would always, you know, engage with, with the person as, as best I could. But you know, for me, I'm really reserved. So I'm not making, um, reserved in the physical sense anyway. I'm not reserved in terms of conversation. I'm happy to find out as much as I can about someone and learn what I can from them, whoever they are, wherever they sit in society. And so I would see each day as sort of a project like that, um, which I could at least, you know, I could garner some value out of it, even if I, there was no second date. Um, but my, I, I was never, physically forward. I think that confused a lot of the girls. I know we're getting a bit off, ten- off topic here, but um, I would never, like, I'm the kind of guy I would never even try and, I would never try and kiss someone on a first date. Did that offend some people? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And people, people, people that I actually liked thought I must have hated them because I'm not making any attempt here to like lean over, put my hand on their hand, no going in for the kiss, none of that. Just just a lot of conversation, but like genuinely enthused conversation, um, trying to find out about them, not just, you know, talking about myself. Um, but was it just yeah. a numbers game? I'm curious. A numbers game in, in what sense? Like there was a period when I knew you and you were going on like a five dates. dates a week. Yeah, okay. There were a lot of dates. That's true. <laughs> there were a lot of dates. I didn't realize and, there were that many of, women in Sydney yeah. until I saw you single. <laughs> yeah, and, not, and, and none of them went anywhere because it was, yeah, it, it does become a numbers game because when you're, you're searching for something you increase exposure, uh, you, you, you see more people, you meet more people, you explore them, you figure out whether or not they're right for you. And to a degree, it does come down to numbers. The more people you meet, the higher the chances are that you're going to meet someone that's good for you. As for is it a numbers game? Yeah, to a degree it was. It was about going out and meeting as many people as I could. That doesn't mean that I didn't kiss them, I didn't do anything with them, but I just went and met them and I kept trying to meet people until I met the right person, and I eventually met the right person at my neighbor's dinner party. There um, you go. And it was, you know, happily ever after. So there you was go. Was it love at first sight? It was definitely you are really hot at first sight. It was sight. lust at first sight. <laughs> it was, it, it, yeah, there was a lot of lust at first sight. There was a lot of lust, but at the same time, we ended up talking about... Um, video games and how we're both massive nerds. So it, it, it was, there was a connection there as well. There was a, there was a chat connection there as well. Uh, it wasn't just lust. You, you felt seen by a fellow nerd. Love that. I did feel seen <laughs> by a fellow nerd. Okay, so have you ever been catfished before? Absolutely. That's, I mean, I think every guy that's ever used apps has been catfished before. I've been catfished I'm before. I'm sure that every girl that's yeah. ever used apps oh, yeah. has been catfished before because it's... Scary. It, but wait, I like, I mean, I feel like... It's so normal for women to get catfished. What would it look like for a man to get catfished? You think it's normal for women. Are you saying that that you think women get catfished more than men? Yeah. Okay, see, I would have said it's definitely the other way around. As in women are lying about their age and things like that? No, just, okay, women and men, but I think women in particular, are very good at using cameras. 
and camera angles oh, and filters. Oh, okay. So and you're just saying like false advertising. I'm saying like they rock up as a completely different person. Oh, no. Okay. I've never had that happen. Yeah, yeah. No, I've had that Okay. Happen. So that's creepy. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that that kind of catfishing is more common with men because men yeah. tend to be more desperate <laughs> than women. <laughs> and the one, the men that find it hard to pick up or to, how to find hard find it hard to get partners, they find it extra hard. Like uh, women... Like the I've truth had is, yeah. people post photos and this probably reveals how superficial I am and I, I swear I have other redeeming qualities, but they have pictures of male supermodels and then they'll rock up and be like okay, no, that's old happened. men. That's insanity. Yeah. That's, and the fact that they even try that, it kind of blows my mind. Another guy who I, he was so persistent on meeting me, was like literally blowing up my phone and like for two days straight, like, I have to meet you now. I ended up uploading his photo to Google only to find out that he was a completely different person. Like that the person that he said he was, was a Portuguese supermodel and he had a South African accent. There was no (laughs) way that he could have been him. And I was like, wow, I just saved my life. I'm glad I didn't stuff you in a van. <laughs> I mean, because felt that's... like it was going that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I've I've never had that. I've just had false advertising. But, right. But that's... So like what? Like they look like they've got a million filters on their photo and then they yeah, rock up and they've got pimples. Angle, or it's just selective angles, yeah. you know. Um, and that, I would say that, I'd say 80% of profiles are probably in some way Oh my you're god, elevating. you're so right because actually when I was on the apps I would often go on first dates with guys and yeah. they'd be like oh phew, you're as hot as your photos and yeah. I would be offended like what were you expecting but yeah. maybe it's a thing. No, it's it's definitely a thing, there's no question about it but it, it, but it makes sense. But what are they sense. expecting? Obviously when you meet the person in real life they're going to mm. see that there's like a discrepancy. But it's always about getting your foot in the door, it's like if, right. you, it's like if you're doing a job profile, uh, you know, creating a CV, you want to get to the interview once you get to the interview, some people's... Your persuasion Powers. Yeah, exactly. You always think. You always think. No, no, no. Once I get there, I've got it. And so some people go with that methodology, and you know I can't blame them. And I also don't think people necessarily do it intentionally. I think that it's the you know, culture we just, live in. They're just yeah, they're just taking nice photos of themselves, and of course they're going to put the, the nice photos. But the light exactly. So I mean, and who who am I to talk? I, when I was when I was on the apps, I had a professional photo that the City Morning Herald took. I used that, or I would. But that's you know, just showing that you're like successful. That's like just you flexing. <laughs> well, but they well no because <laughs> did you have a no. did you have an abs photo and then like a dog photo as well? I don't, well, no, no <laughs> or a dog. car photo. No dog, no cars. Um, and you couldn't tell that the City Morning Herald had taken it. What I was what I'm getting at is it was a professional photo. Yeah. So I used a professional photo. Do I look like I look in that photo? Maybe I don't know. I'm not like what I'm getting at is. I, everyone puts their best everyone foot forward. Everyone puts their best foot forward. Yeah. I, don't th- I think there's a select group of people that catfish hard, but I don't think that it's necessarily intentional. And I would never hold that against someone. So if I, I've been on dates. And, but I feel like we have different definitions of catfishing. Okay, I would there's hold it altering, against them. there's yes. modifying of photos, and there's being a completely I, different person. I would hold it against someone <laughs> if, they, if, if I was talking to, you know, an, uh, a, a 25-year-old African and a 65-year-old Caucasian showed up, I would be pissed off. But if they just have a different filter or they're a little bit over, you know, they have a few extra pounds, I'm totally fine with it. Let's have a chat. Let's just progress I this I actually thing. know of a girl who, on her dating profile, she had photos of when she was in shape and she mm. rocked up to the date 10 kilos over and the guy point blank said, you're fat compared to your photos. Well, he's, he's a dickhead. So because, but there is such a thing as like false advertising. It is false advertising, but he should have the tact not to say that to yeah. her and just to keep it within himself and, you know, talk to her. If that, if that happened to me, which it 
pretty much has, in, if not with weight, but in other ways. You just sit there and you, you have the conversation to figure out, okay, what is it about this person that made them do what they do? This is interesting. I'm going to treat this as a human study. Um, I, I had a girl uh, who, this was in Hungary, and I went on a, um, a, a date with um, many, many years ago, and it was from an app, early days of the apps back then. And she, when I arrived, told me she wasn't actually particularly interested in going on a date with me, but she had a uh, boyfriend that she'd organized a dinner with, um, or that rather had organized a big group dinner, and wanted she wanted to take me right then and there to the dinner to make him jealous. Like right there. So I arrive at the date. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, we're going to have a drink. And we did have a drink. And then she just said to me, by the way, actually, this is what I want to do tonight. Can you come to this dinner and just make this guy jealous? You must have felt so special. <laughs> I, I, what a compliment. I sort of, yeah, a little bit of me did feel special. And it was probably the stroking my ego, which managed to get me but you were to also follow a her. Pawn. <laughs> well, you know. A chosen pawn. <laughs> I was a chosen, yeah, I, I, I chose, I, I guess I was, but it didn't work out well for her because I ended up going to the dinner and then when I arrived, I found out that, oh, these guys, her her ex, which she didn't mention, is in the Hungarian underworld. And, <laughs> and you're like, I can bro down with this guy. Yeah, yeah well, we did. We Cheers. Did, we did, we did bro down um, over, over the night, you know, the night went on, we bro down a little bit and then uh, I... I got very, very bored and left, and she was very pissed off because it became quite clear that that she had essentially recruited re- recruited someone to make her ex jealous, and I mean, not a lot of integrity in that. So you know, it didn't work well. Okay, so I'm curious: was there an expectation for you to pay for every day? Yes, yeah. So that's changed over time. I think that when I was younger there was never the expectation that you'd pay for the date because, you know, when you're a teenager or in your early 20s, everyone's sort of in the same financial bucket unless they have really rich parents. See, so. I have a completely different experience to that where all of my high school mm. and early 20 boyfriends paid for everything. But then the more I started working, the more there was an expectation that we kind of went Dutch on things. Mm. Recently, like over the past, you know, I'm 33, but over the past... Four or five years, I would definitely pay on the first date. There's no question. Yeah, I Um, feel like if you're asking somebody out, you should pay. It's as simple as that. mm, I I mean, I always used to explain it um, like this. I I had, when I I was working in India for a while, and um, Sudeep Mehta, he's an amazing man, um, a great businessman, um, extremely, extremely affluent, took me out to dinner, with one of the directors of Emirates, I think it was, and it was it was a lot of money. It was it ended up being extremely expensive, and I at that time didn't have a huge amount of money, and he covered me for it. I offered to pay, he covered me for it, and he said, "Stefan, this to me is nothing. To you, it's something. So let me pay and treat other people the same way." And actually, when I used to go on um, dates, I would pay unless it became clear that the person um, was particularly affluent. In between, like, say, 25 and 30, at that point then, if, if the person made a lot more money than me, I'd be more inclined to split it um, from the, if, if they, were, they were affluent because it, it's not really about a gender thing. It's about how much you have, right, um, in my mind anyway. Like, if I was in a relationship um, and my partner was making a million a year, 
and I'm making 200K a year and we have a house and we're, we're renting and it's $20,000 a week, then I would expect they cover more than I do naturally because they make more. It's just like you split it proportionately to what you have. And I used to take kind of that approach to a degree if people were quite affluent when I was on dates, but 99% of the time I would just pay. And how do you identify if somebody's affluent? <laughs> like uh, you have a nice handbag, you can pay for this day. No, I, actually a lot of the time the people with nice handbags aren't Didn't affluent. have much money. Have I much know, money. right? A lot so of the time true. they don't have a lot of money. So. Oh, I found <laughs> that often the wealthiest people are the most humble in terms yeah, of appearance. absolutely. No, um... I think um, so. I when I was talking about the um, the affluence thing, it was more so when I was in Hungary. When I was in Hungary and went on dates, I would tend to um, pay, and it, no matter what, because I knew that, you know, the the, the the minimum wage in Hungary is a lot less than it is here, um, and I had, I almost would be certain that anyone I went on a date on with in Hungary, I would it'd be easier for me to cover everything than it is for them. And I don't want to put that stress on them, so I'd cover it. It wasn't necessarily about gender. Over the last few years, I've become more inclined to just think, you know what, the more and more women that I've been on dates with at this age just expect you to pay, and I'm happy to meet that societal expectation. Okay, we need to explore this. Mm. What does that expectation look like? Do they just say, thank you so much, and, like, don't offer to pay? Or are they very clear about their expectations? Like, what does it look like, and what is your philosophy surrounding it? Okay, I'm going to pedal back a little bit because I may have misstepped. I think that it's not necessarily that they heavily expect it or say anything or don't offer. Now, some do, don't get me wrong, but it's that... Does that turn you off? No, not necessarily. Not at this age. Not at this point in my life. It doesn't turn me off. I'm, I'm... you know, it it also doesn't turn me off that people might find, say, affluence attractive. Like, would does it worry me that uh, a girl might look at me and think, oh, Stefan has a nice car. That's nice. I wouldn't, you know, that's a bonus. Does that worry me? Not at all. That's why I bought the nice car. I don't see any inherent value in having a nice car. It doesn't, I don't particularly care, but I know that society cares and I know that it can influence people. And so that's what you do. It's a, now people don't like to say this openly. People don't like to actually yeah. admit that they, that they do this and this is why they do it. But to me, the people that say, oh, I just, I just dress like, I just dress so nice like this, you know, because it makes me feel good. I think that's a lie. You do it because it make it lets you fit in in a way. It gets you somewhere. It does something for you. The way you. people perceive you makes it changes you feel that. good. Yeah, and we all like I don't, and I'm not by any means flashy. Like you, you, you would agree with that. I'm, I'm by You're no the most means flashy. Person I know. But at the same time, I still use. I'm still conscious that, well, if I have a choice between buying a, a, a quote unquote nice car and one that isn't nice, I buy the nice one. Why? Not because I particularly know much about cars or care, but because I know that. Uh, other people will see it a certain way, including female partners Can uh, I or just male partners. Not, not that I'm into add that. Add some background sure, to the yeah. car. Yeah. I knew you pre-car and post-car, and I distinctly <laughs> remember a conversation where you were like, "I need to get a girlfriend. I'm buying a car." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I used to, I, I used to honestly just Uber everywhere. I didn't see a, I didn't see a point in car. I didn't particularly enjoy driving, and I was happy to just, you know. And then you went a bit extreme with it and you're like, I'm looking at Bentleys. I was like, okay, you can get a girlfriend without having a Bentley. Like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. But the thing is, I think that it's, yeah, it it doesn't worry me that people might look at you and, and add, think that part of your value is what you have monetarily. I know we're getting a bit off topic, but back to 
to kind of circle back to what we were saying about um, expectation around people paying at dinner, right? I don't think it's necessarily they say that there's an expectation at this point, but I've just realized whether or not they expect it, they appreciate it. If I, I just mean, apps are fucking so why not? So if I can, why not? Why am I gonna? Why am I gonna literally hamstring myself from the beginning when to me paying for dinner isn't a big deal? So I'm gonna do it. If it was a big deal, I might think differently about it. But if it's not a big deal, I'm not gonna hamstring myself if I'm interested in someone. So I'll pay for it. Done. So then, is there an expectation that they show their appreciation in a different way? Uh, to, look to a. It depends how much of a financial burden someone becomes. So, for instance, if I'm covering, if someone's living with me and they're not contributing uh, monetarily to living with me and they don't pay for any food, so I cover essentially all their basic living costs. Anytime we go out, I cover everything. If I'm doing all of that, um, and I've been in situations where I'm doing all of that, then... And was that a conversation or just an expectation? I'm curious. It just happens. It tends to be a conversation you don't want to have. Um, maybe that um, reflects the fact that I'm not huge on confrontation, and I let things kind of just bubble along and for a while, and then I have the conversation about it, right? So, and then then you expect them to understand. So if 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 let's say someone moved into my apartment, they moved in, we didn't have a conversation about it, but they slowly just moved in, and I was paying for everything all the time, and that's what was happening. I wouldn't make it a problem at some point I may if they weren't doing anything else to you know contribute um you know in another way with their time whether that's I don't know uh cleaning or cooking or um uh, building a business that they want to build which then they think in the long run will help secure us as a couple or whatever it is right if they're if they're not working on something at all um I might at some point raise a conversation and be like look I noticed that not a lot's happening here in that you're not doing <laughs> much at the moment. Am I just housing you? <laughs> Am I just housing you? Like, how are we going to do this? But, or you don't have children, right? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I'd, I'd raise that conversation, but I wouldn't want to make it a big deal. But it all depends on what, you know, if my situation was different, I'd feel very differently about it. It's about what what, what, you, what you, you're capable of providing as well. And, and I think everyone should be respectful of what everyone else is capable of doing. Uh, you know, it would be insane if I were to say to someone, okay, move into my apartment, but let's say they work uh, at a bar and they're making $28 an hour and I then expect them to pay half the rent. Well, they're not going to be able to afford, even if they work, you know, two years in a year to pay the rent or to pay off a mortgage or the, 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 of somewhere of where I am. So how could I possibly expect them to do that equally? Like it's about, you know, it's proportional um, and it's you just try and work out the, the fairest thing you can. But yes, I do generally expect if, if I was covering the cost of essentially everything in a relationship, I would expect that they were either working on something amazing by themselves or that they were just doing a bit of extra housework or um helping out me do my work or, or, or just some something, capacity. just something, some capacity yeah. of contribution to offset the financial cost. Uh, I've always thought that like women are the only ones who struggle with like, things like imposter syndrome and confidence issues or like insecurities. Is that true? No. Okay. Absolutely so talk me through not. this. Absolutely Because I feel like all men suffer from basic white man syndrome, you know, like, or some form of like basic man syndrome where you just think like, because you're a man, you're the shit. I, I 100% can categorically say that's not the case for me. Again, I can't speak for, you know, half the human race, but I can say that 
um, or half a human species rather. But I, I can say that among people I know, a lot of guys, especially successful ones, experience imposter syndrome. I even, you know, was having a chat with a well-known Australian billionaire um, who expressed that his biggest, you know, his biggest fear was that he was seen as a failure in the eyes of his father. Now, he's wow. a billionaire, so and he's self-made. You know, a lot of guys, I know guys that are really successful management consultants that constantly worry that they're going to be found out, that they're not as good as they think they are or that are not, 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 not as good as other people think they are, rather. Um, and, you know, I don't think that... I, I don't suffer imposter syndrome myself, but I also... I'm constantly struggling with feeling like I'm a failure. Um, and I've, you know, I've listened to the podcast and I've, I've heard your descriptions of, you know, similar struggles. Um, and, you know, I think we can relate uh, in that in some way that we, we're very hard on ourselves. And I think a lot of guys are really hard on themselves. I also know, and I've heard from a lot of friends and, and, and girlfriends, um, I mean that in the platonic sense of the word girlfriend, that, um, that there are plenty of guys out there that, think they're top shit and walk around like they literally own the universe and they can be horrible people. Um, but I don't think by any means that imposter syndrome or feeling like you, you're dealing with a sense of self-failure or self-loathing is limited to women. Thank you so much for listening to the Single 30 two-part season finale episode, Dating and Relationships from a Man's Perspective, with my amazing friend, Stefan Wolf. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. Don't forget to tune in to the second part of the season finale, which will be airing next Wednesday. If you have any questions, feedback, or even an episode idea, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30, or join the Single 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. As always, no topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.